When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Here we go, the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel where we cover the Miami Marlins every day in our own way. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes. Welcome to the show. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, recording this on the first off day in a while that the Marlins have had, and they are entering a new homestand at 19 games below 500, but it's funny what a single game can do to change your mood. They're coming off one of their most convincing wins of the entire season to finish off that road trip in San Diego to salvage a game from what was otherwise a totally winless road trip. This was mentioned on the previous pod that we're creating a fundraiser for the Players Alliance. And how you get involved is simply leaving a rating and review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Usually that's where it is. I suppose you could do that on some other platforms as well, but primarily Apple Podcasts, if you haven't already, just a quick rating and review. And that will add $1 to the donation that I'll be making to the Players Alliance on behalf of Fish Stripes at the end of the season. I came up with this idea on Sunday night, Monday, and I want to follow through with it. The base donation, we're going to start with $25 and just add on a dollar from there. From every single new rating and review that we receive on the podcast between this week and the end of the season. So why the Players Alliance? They are in partnership with Major League Baseball. They are devoted to creating opportunities for black people in baseball to play baseball at the lowest levels, but also to work in baseball at the variety of jobs in and around the game that historically have been very hard to get for minorities and especially for African-Americans. They're working towards doing that. Every dollar counts. Every rating and review counts. So you can make your own donation to the Players Alliance if you choose. But if you want to get involved in our pool, um, You don't even have to actually dip into your own account. Just that rating and review on our podcast, that'd be greatly appreciated, and that would add $1 on top of what we're already committed to giving at the end of the season. We'll be making that donation right at the end of this Marlins season. Almost certainly the fact that they won't be in a postseason. We know the firm end date of that, October 3rd. That's when we'll count everything up and make that donation to help create those opportunities. The base being $25, that is not a coincidence. It is an homage to Lewis Brinson's uniform number, number 25. We have to talk about Brinson again, uh, and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about him quite a bit on pods for the rest of the season. 
just laying down where we are with him at the moment, entering this weekend series with about still over a quarter of the season to go. Things change fast because Brinson has missed a big chunk of the season on the injured list and at AAA, but what he's been doing recently is absolutely astounding. It is far and away different from anything he had previously done at the major league level, and people are understandably excited. I have one article, again, just one of probably several articles I'll be writing about Brinson, kind of analyzing how this happens. Um, You can find that at fishstripes.com, specifically at fishstripes.com slash analysis about Brinson's improvement, especially against off-speed stuff and secondary stuff in in breaking balls, off-speed and breaking balls at the knees. Like, he had this hole in his swing uh, especially in 2018, 2019, where he was among the very worst hitters in baseball at secondary stuff thrown low in the strike zone. So, and that's an important distinction between the bottom of the zone and, you know, outside the zone, because those are pitches where, like, you can be very fearless as an opponent to attack there, knowing that even if he doesn't swing at it, you'll probably get a call, a called strike in that situation. And I feel that was really holding him back, that that was the book on him, not only to just go with non-fastballs, but specifically those low in the zone. Like Brinson, I don't think people realize it, that he is six foot five. He is, even by MLB player standards, a really tall guy. And I feel that may have had a factor and why he was having trouble reaching those pitches low in the zone, as well as, of course, you know, the velocity differential between that and the fastball. But there's been improvement on that, and actually it dates back to even the 2020 season, where he had some good moments during that season as well. Um, And that's kind of the conclusion I'm at right now with him. Again, this could change, that this is kind of related to what he also showed last year in 2020, that this has been building for a little while now about him being just a more complete hitter. And so that's one thing that stuck out for me is that he's now performing even above league average on that secondary stuff at the knees. Some other things to go through with him that he's been solid against right-handed pitching in general. And you remember even last year when he had some good signs that they were hiding him against same-handed pitching. He was in that platoon situation, almost always playing against lefties during this most recent stretch with Marlins by default because they have nobody else that's established in the outfield. He's been basically an everyday player playing against both lefties and righties. This year, his production against righties is, it's good. It's, let's see, his overall numbers, I should probably get to that. Again, these are going to change fast because it's still a small sample size. But this year, slashing 282, 319, 519 overall. That's his slash line. By far, career highs in all those categories. It's an OPS of 838. It's a weighted runs created plus of 127. We love to visit that stat because it's really easy, easy to digest. 100 is the league average hitter based on the conditions you play in, the environment you play in, the league you play in. And 100 is league average. He is 27% better than league average as a hitter this year. And so that's for the year overall when he's been in the majors. You'll remember he was struggling early on in his first few stints. His most recent stint is just off the charts, man. He's closing in on a 200 WRC plus since he got called up shortly after the All-Star break. It's incredible, and it's it's there's precedent for guys doing that and then fading away. Like, this on its own isn't proof of anything, but... It is highly, highly encouraging. And to get back to his performance against right-handed pitching, something that had been a huge weakness for him for really his entire career up to this point, 
He's above average against right-handed pitching all of a sudden. He has four of his seven home runs against righties this season. He's striking out um, less than a third of the time against righties. It's a very you know low bar to clear, but that is a pretty substantial improvement over where he used to be against righties. He had, a, in, he had some big moments against righties on this most recent road trip as well. That's really encouraging to see because as I concluded in this article, I, I don't think we can close the door anymore on him potentially being an everyday outfielder at the major league level. And a, a huge key to that is just being consistent against righties and lefties. For the moment, he is doing that. He's also earning himself a bit of money heading into next year. Next year is going to be his first year of arbitration eligibility. And even though there's still a lot of room for him to regress the rest of the season, and, you know, spoiler alert, I kind of think he will by a considerable amount, that some of his counting stats are in the books. The the seven home runs that he has this year, uh, the, what, 40-something games that he's played, and the inevitability that he's going to be playing virtually every day the rest of the season as long as he's healthy, uh, again, by default, um, that's the reality based on the trades that the Marlins made, that he'll be close to an everyday player the rest of the year, even if he does dip off a little bit. Counting stats are a big driver of your earnings in arbitration, and this is going to be his first year of eligibility, where he entered this year with over two and a half years of service time. Even though he spent a big chunk of this year in the minors, all he had to do is get close to three years of service time this year to qualify, and so he did. After for his career to this point, he's been earning right around the league minimum salary when he's been in the big leagues. He is due for a pretty substantial uptick. Um, this is what you call the platform year for arbitration, where they weigh it more heavily than his previous years, which is very convenient because it's by far his best year in the big leagues. For someone that is earning less than 600000 uh, annually uh, so far in his major league career, I would expect him to triple that heading into next year. He could close in on, again, it depends quite a bit on exactly how he finishes this season, but I would not be surprised at all if he's a $2 million player next year, which, I mean, is still a very small risk from the team's perspective, which is why I think it's, it's something that's pretty easy to, to support uh, as a fan is that he's finally setting himself up to be more comfortable regardless of what happens the rest of his career to, to finally be collecting that seven-digit, uh, seven-figure salary. And the Marlins, again, because of how low a risk it is in the grand scheme of things, no matter what happens from here, I think you'd expect them to pick it up and see what happens. Uh, the final point I wanted to touch on with Brinson for the moment is uh, this comparison that people are making between him and Yelich. And from, from a lot of people, I imagine it's just sarcastic and uh, trash talk. The fact that this particular year, Brinson's numbers overall are better than Yelich. So the, that is a bragging right that you do have and that you could use uh, ad nauseum if you want that Brinson as an overall player in terms of a wins above replacement he edges out Yelich this year despite having about half as much playing time so far he is slugging way more than Yelich is to this point he is he's getting more hits in general and I think at, this is a little bit more subjective but he is the better defensive player right now than Yelich is as well that's it's a really fun twist, of course, with the fact that Yelich was one of the very best players in baseball in 2018, in 2019. Uh, this is something we'll get into, I, I guess, 
later in September or the off season. But if you really want to like trick yourself to be in a happy mood about all this, you could trick yourself into thinking that Yelich, yeah, was incredible in 2018 and 2019. But because of the team around him and the direction that the team was heading in, there was just no way that they would be a contending team, even with him in the fold. Like You'd be able to appreciate his individual greatness without moving the franchise really anywhere in a beneficial direction. In fact, if you want to pinpoint 2018, where Yelich, of course, won the Most Valuable Player Award in the National League, that any contributions he made this year would have driven the Marlins a little bit further up the standings, dropped them lower in the draft order, and uh, would not have allowed them to do the brilliant work that they did in the subsequent draft, the 2019 draft class, where in that class off the top of my head, I think five of those players are among my top 30 prospects right now in the Marlins organization, if not even higher than that, including J.J. Blade, Peyton Burdick, Cameron Meisner, Nassim Nunez, uh, I'm overlooking someone, was that the Troy Johnston draft as well? Yeah, um, I mean, that was potentially a transformative draft class for the Marlins, and it was helped by the fact that they were a really terrible team uh, in 2018 because they traded Yelich and because they got th- that Lewis Brinson contributed to the tank, unfortunately, during his very disappointing rookie season. Uh, o- overall, I, I just I can't get in that mindset that that trade was anything short of a disaster, that the Marlins had five years of club control over Yelich remaining on his contract when they made that trade, and that simply by keeping him for those first couple years, I don't know if they ever would have pulled the plug, but there is so much immense value, especially for this franchise, of having an awesome individual player that actually has some longevity with the team because that's been so rare in this franchise history. To me, no matter what Brinson does from here, that's always going to be a huge regret that they would take Yelich a thousand times out of a thousand over whatever Brinson does from here. It is, that being said, going to be a fascinating story to follow in Milwaukee if you care about that. With Yelich's his next extension, he signed that monster deal with the, to make himself essentially a brewer for life not that long ago. And ever since that new money kicked in, he has struggled a lot, both on the field and with his health. So you wonder if, yeah, if his team in Milwaukee is ever going to break through with him involved and if he is, in fact, kind of dragging them down a little bit just because of all the money that they committed to him. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The main focus I wanted to get to on the rest of this episode is the acting manager for the Marlins, who's his tenure as acting manager, I guess, officially expires on Friday, James Rousen, ordinarily the bench coach and the offensive coordinator for the Marlins. In case you've been totally unplugged, Don Mattingly has not been with the team for the previous two weeks. He tested positive for COVID. I guess if you want to get the order of events perfect, he was exhibiting some symptoms of being sick and they got him tested. And those tests concluded that he did have COVID. 
even as a vaccinated individual, he was feeling some symptoms. So that's a big sigh of relief that he was vaccinated in the first place because those symptoms could have been even worse. But fortunately, he was feeling better within a matter of days. And then it was just a matter of making sure that he was no longer infectious and making sure he was fully recovered to do his job. So he didn't go on that road trip at all, awaiting the team as they come back from San Diego. And he'll take over again for the Cubs series. Rousen had the opportunity to manage 12 games for the Marlins against the Yankees, the Mets, the Rockies, and the Padres. The Marlins went 4-8 and eight during those games. Overall, it was not an inspiring stint for the team. They were outscored by a, a bunch of runs, especially mostly during that Rockies series. I actually think for overall, you'd be fairly satisfied with how they played in those other against those other opponents, but that Rockies series was didn't really have any redeeming qualities to it whatsoever. Uh, with with Rousen, his hiring was pretty popular. They kind of stole him away from the Twins by giving him a, a half step promotion. You know, he was previously the hitting coach in Minnesota, and he was someone that everybody thought was very influential in turning the Twins into a great offensive team in that role. So the Marlins hired him into being the second in command on the coaching staff behind Mattingly as bench coach and offensive coordinator. And even in the middle of this stint, um, even prior to getting to sit in the big seat during these couple weeks, he's done little things that really make you take notice. And it's unsurprising that he is considered by many to be a future major league manager in the very near future. If I remember correctly, he did interview to be Twins manager when they had that opening a few years ago, and what was more widely reported is that this past offseason, he was one of the finalists in the Red Sox managerial search. Now, the Red Sox, they had to let go of Alex Cora for a year while he was suspended by Major League Baseball, and they ultimately rehired him. There's a difference of opinions in terms of whether this was a real search or not, whether there was ever going to be competition for Cora to like regain himself in that position that he already had before that suspension came down. Nonetheless, it's interesting that he got multiple interviews there and that he pursued it. He, and I don't think there's any question that he's going to continue to pursue jobs this offseason. Um, he won't be managing the Marlins in 2022, health permitting, because you remember Don Mattingly last month, he had his mutual option picked up in his contract. That was a decision that uh, I'm not surprised that they made, but it was still a tough choice nonetheless to like fully commit to having Mattingly back and staying in charge of this organization which means that, yeah, it sends the message to Rousen that it's fully fully like reasonable for him to be seeing what else is out there yet again this coming offseason. I want to play a series of clips of him addressing the media. Even though he'd been around the team, of course, in 2020 and through the first half of 2021, I'd say that he'd had more media availability these past couple weeks than he had in almost two years as they're in his other regular role. Um, some of that is just because the team at one time, you choose the manager as your main spokesperson. Um, as much as people respect Rousen and want to hear his insight on things, you, you don't want to say anything that might contradict what the regular manager says on, on certain topics. So I'm, I'm going to play you just a series of comments that he made. Maybe you were able to catch them on the pregame and postgame shows and on social media. But if not, I think this is a great insight into 
why people feel so highly about Rousen as a leader, as a friend, and as, again, somebody that could be on the verge of a promotion. I've been blessed to be in this in, in this industry long enough to know that you don't know when it's going to click. Um, you look at the player, you look at their work ethic, you look how they get after it. There's a lot of things you have to measure, um, how guys deal with failure, how they're able to be persistent and come back. I mean, this game is a tough game, and you're judged very early for sample sizes of, of work. And, you know, it, it happens to a lot of players, and obviously it happened to Lou, but, you know, it's a credit to him, like I said, that the player has, has, has kind of battled through it all. He's been resilient through it all. He's never quit on himself. He's never quit on his ability. He believes in himself. He keeps working. Um, and then all of a sudden you get success from that player. And that's why I say the player deserves it all because they go through. So it's such a tough battle to get there and, and to be successful in this league. And, and you have to keep going. You know, he's, he's in a great spot right now. But like I said, his confidence is building. He's going to continue to go because the league will try to make adjustments. And then you have to make adjustments again. It's a, it's a never ending battle. But there's nothing like once you get to that hump that you know you can do it at this level and you have the confidence to know you can succeed. And I think he's at that point. He believes in himself. He believes in his work ethic. And um, you never know what's going to click, but it's nice to see it click for this player right now for, for everything he's done and all the work he's put in. We don't make excuses. We never make excuses, but we do examine the process. And, you know, if you continue to get those that type of soft contact at different times and make those pitches and stay away from some walks or some tough pitches at times, he's going to continue to have uh, success here. Some of these guys are really starting to, get comfortable up there, starting to get comfortable with getting regular at bats and, and you're starting to see more quality at bats come through. You know, we can't, I, I, we would love to get hits every time. You can't get hits every time, you know, but you can judge the quality of your plate appearance. Am I, am I swinging at the strikes, taking the balls? When I chase a pitch, do I make an adjustment, lay off that pitch the next time to get a better pitch? I mean, there's so many things that you use to judge at bats. And I feel like our players are getting a lot better um, as time goes on. Like I said, you'd love for these to, to come together kind of like they did in that beginning we had and you, to see it more often. But, you know, you keep seeing the steps. I mean, the one thing you have to do is ask yourself to keep moving forward and keep seeing the steps. And I, I feel like our guys are doing that and, and we just have to keep going and hopefully the luck turns around. And I think the key to, to hitting in a place like this is trying to keep your same approach, trying not to do too much, try to still stay, you know, short and quick to the ball, try and drive the ball on the line with backspin, try to do the things that are going to be, be conducive to whatever ballpark you play in. Because you, you, you can have the tendency of getting a little bit too big maybe at this ballpark and trying to do too much where it could potentially work against you. So what a couple of great sins by, by Trey. And, you know, those sins change the game. I mean, we're, we're safe, change the score, change the outlook, changes how you're doing everything with the bullpen. There's so many things that go into, you know, getting the lead and doing things. So, you know, him – you know, making those great sins and, and doing his homework and being prepared and, and being able to read those plays, you know, it, it's just as every bit as important to us being able to get those those victories and, and win that series in New York as, as anything else we did. My goal is to keep them focused, keep them playing hard, keep them energetic, um, keep guys going. And I feel like this team has done a great job of doing that over this time. You know, regardless of the win-loss record, I mean, I look at the process I tell you that all the time on the hitting side of it. I look at it in, in every aspect of the game. I believe you can only judge yourself on the effort you put forward, the preparation that goes into it. And if you can say leave every night and say, you know what, I prepared myself. I went up there. I gave. I had a good at bats, or I, I had a good outing, or whatever. I made the right pitch at the right time. I mean, you you have to judge the process, and at the end of the day, you hope that that produces the results. So what I would say is, like, I feel good 
about my time doing this that I feel like our guys have played hard and have gone about their business the right way. So I'm proud of that. Again, it's my interpretation that he's not a shy individual. It's just, again, about having a consistent messenger on the coaching staff for any major league team. While Mattingly is on duty, um, you just don't get many opportunities to hear from Rousen, at least things, not anything really on the record like that. Uh, That gives you a good idea for his personality, for his ability to analyze the game. He is somebody that did play for several years in the minor leagues, but not to the same prowess, of course, that Mattingly had. So it's a, it's a different perspective, but he's been in coaching pretty much since his playing career ended. So for almost two decades now, he has been in the coaching ranks and the development ranks. He, even though he's relatively young by MLB managerial standards, he is uh, rapidly moving towards the front of the line for someone that deserves that opportunity. With the extension of Mattingly's deal by an extra year, I think it's guaranteed that he'll be interviewing for other jobs that are open around baseball at this time. Uh, I wanted to run through some of them that could be open. It's it's a weird year where there isn't guaranteed to be a whole lot of turnover this year uh, by usual baseball standards. The two that really stick out are the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. The Diamondbacks have the worst record in the majors. Um, they've just, every single way this season has been agonizing for them, uh, losing even more games than they should in close and tight situations, but of course depleted by injuries. Yet, despite all that, they have a pretty strong farm system, and they're not all that far removed from like being a competitive team. So they have Torrey Lavello as their manager for, I think this is his fifth year now, but he doesn't have a contract beyond this season. So I uh, I think there's a pretty good chance that that job is open up. The one that's probably more guaranteed to be open is the Rockies job. The Rockies, despite kicking some Marlins butt a few days ago, they're having a very mediocre season. They're on the verge of having a front office shakeup. They have yet to find their next long-term general manager, but that search will happen after the season. It's pretty frequent that the new front office brings in a new field general as well. Bud Black has been there for a while, and they haven't been good either the last couple years. I think he has one more year left on his contract, but it's pretty run of run of course for new front offices to be willing to part with those guys even with a year remaining, being, being willing to, you know, pay them even that salary that's still owed to them. So that's the one that is highly, highly likely to be available with the Rockies. Some others that are more uh, up in the air could be Cleveland. They'll be playing their first season as the Cleveland Guardians. And Terry Francona has stepped away dealing with some health issues, which have been on and off for him in recent years. Um, he's he's going to have that job as long as he's physically able to do it. But um, if he's not physically able to do it, that's that's one that certainly could be open, and that team has been, from a competitive standpoint, I think that's a more appetizing job than the Diamondbacks or the Rockies, depending on what your perspective is. The Rangers are having a pretty yucky year, and they're near the bottom floor of a rebuild, uh, but they have a brand new ballpark. They have, perhaps more than any of those other teams, they have the potential to have a huge payroll and actually contend for championships if they're in a position to do so, they're not in that position yet. 
So I wonder what the status of Chris Woodward is this year now that the team has kind of slid backwards even compared to where they thought they were last year and the year before. And some really wild card possibilities. How about the White Sox and the Astros? They have the two oldest managers in baseball, the White Sox with Tony LaRussa and the Astros with Dusty Baker. I wonder if either of those teams win the World Series this year. Could those guys just decide to go out on top to walk off into the sunset as a champion? Um, I feel like with Dusty Baker, that's a really likely possibility because Dusty has been so close so many times to being a champion and never quite got over the hump. Uh, with Larusa, this is only his first year back from you know what people thought was a retirement from managing. Uh, so with him, I think it's less likely that he would just dip after be one and done with the White Sox. Uh, I'm just throwing it out there because there really aren't a whole lot of obvious openings as there would normally be when we're evaluating these things like three quarters of the way through the season. Um, Usually, of course, a factor that dictates this is how these playoff races play out in late September and also the nature of certain playoff exits. You could see some pretty reactionary decisions to make changes if uh, a certain team flames out in the playoffs in embarrassing fashion. So that's certainly a possibility as well. There'll be a clear picture of this once we get to the end of the season. I just felt it was worth mentioning now because this is probably the only time that James Rousen is going to come up on the podcast between now and the end of the regular season. As highly as he's regarded and as interesting as he is, it, he's just um, he fades into the background when he's not managing the team on a daily basis. And, and fingers crossed, everything goes fine with Mattingly the rest of the season. So he'll kind of fade into the background. But I wanted to float that possibility of uh, what could happen for him next. It's always difficult to kind of anticipate when you get that first crack at being a manager, even though as a industry, it's trending younger and younger to less and less prior experience. Like, I don't think that's going to be a disadvantage for him at all that he hasn't managed before, but uh, I don't want to make everything about race. Just noting the pretty obvious observation that there are, uh, there's hardly any black representation among MLB managers right now. There's Dusty Baker, and uh, I'll have to double check this once we're finished recording as to whether there are any other black MLB managers right now anywhere in the league. It's been a big problem with uh, representation. There's a lot of factors that, that go into it. But Rouston is someone that is considered by many in the industry as somebody that is ready for that opportunity. It doesn't mean that he's going to get that opportunity for some reasons that could go beyond his control. At the very least, I assure you that he'll be interviewing for those jobs again. Maybe the Marlins can get their cake and eat it too. I am on the record as predicting that Rousen would be the next manager of the Marlins. He would be Mattingly's successor. And Mattingly threw a curveball into that by winning NL Manager of the Year in 2020 for leading the team to the playoffs through their COVID issues. They could not, if they wanted to, they couldn't say goodbye to him right then. And I think that performance alone made it always very, very likely that that 2022 option was going to get picked up. It's it's a big deal, the work that he did. And he did do a genuinely great job, um, regardless of any of the other flukiness that may have gone into that season. It is a very open question whether he'll be here beyond 2022. There are, um, we'll be hammering this point home in the coming months, is how high the expectations will be heading into next year, how much pressure, I should say, is going to be on everybody involved, and maddeningly almost as much as the players, to take a considerable step forward 
next year. You can't really sugarcoat what's happened this year. The Marlins have been done really poorly in close games this year. They have 23 losses in one-run games. They have underperformed their run differential by a considerable margin by eight games. They are eight games worse than their Pythagorean record this year. The Pythagorean record says they should be hovering near 500 right now, which would still have them very much alive in a, a postseason push for the NL East title. Instead, they are totally out of it. And I don't think Mattingly is totally absolved of blame with how he's managed the bullpen, the lack of urgency in putting together certain lineups and resting players strategically. Like There have been plenty of stuff to second-guess about him. The team absolutely, at the end of the day, needs to win more games in 2022 uh, for it to even be a possibility that you know he continues to uh, stick around beyond that season. So if Rousen does get shut out of those interviews with other teams, and if, unfortunately, uh, the 2022 season isn't a big step forward like the Marlins are aiming for, or maybe um, Maddenly decides that to transition to a different role at that time. I don't think he's going to retire this yet. He still has plenty of juice left in him to contribute to this game, but maybe Maddenly does reach a decision or come to a mutual decision with, you know, some pressure from the team to transition into a different role, and then Rousen takes over beginning in 2023. That's certainly a, a possibility, too. Um, but this is a good problem to have, to have somebody that you feel is capable of doing the job uh, and yet is kind of blocked from reaching that level. It's the same thing we talk about with players, is of having really qualified depth in your organization at different positions. This is really no different, that they have Rousen kind of waiting in the wings if and when that opportunity presents itself. So thank you guys again for listening. Another reminder that if you haven't already rated and reviewed the Fish Stripes podcast on Apple, take a second to do so and we'll add an extra dollar to our building donation to the Players Alliance to create more opportunities for black people in baseball. It takes just a moment to leave that rating and review. We hope you do so. Uh, we hope you tune into all of our content on Fish Stripes, our continued Brin Sanity coverage on the pod and on fishstripes.com are live streams as well that prior to every series, we're going to keep them going. The audience has been great for those live streams. The participation has been great. So we're going to keep it up through the rest of the season. And we have a new presenting sponsor of Fish Stripes Live as well, 305 Candles. You've seen them collaborate with us already in some other avenues, including the Fish Picks Contest. We're keeping the Fish Picks Contest going. You use our discount code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, to get 10% off your order on 305 Candles as well. We appreciate them supporting us, and we appreciate the support that you give us uh, in following along with all of our content here on Fish Stripes. Should be a fun weekend coming up for the Marlins uh, against the Cubs. I'm pretty optimistic that they're going to play well against a really undermatched opponent at this moment. So we'll have more about that on Friday's Small Pod in our series preview article on Fish Tribes and, of course, on the live stream that's counting down to first pitch of the opener of a brand-new homestand at Lone Depot Park. As always, go fish!